This podcast is sponsored by the novel Noteworthy Tribute. Hello, we are the authors of Noteworthy Tribute. I'm Mark. And I'm Josiah. Noteworthy Tribute is a coming-of-age story where characters young and old learn the importance of relationships and that sacrifice is the bridge to their destiny. Corey Lynn Faber finds himself in Virginia Beach, 3,000 miles away from home, after the death of his best friend and bandmate. While on the path to rediscovery, he meets a local aspiring music producer, Evan Spencer. Evan, a, a young DJ, has his own struggles with his family's desire for him to pursue college and a quote-unquote normal life versus starting a band and traveling. All of this unfolds against the backdrop of family secrets. Here's some reasons why you'd want to read it. You'll get the view of a young black male navigating his future versus that of his single parent mother. There are generational tensions. You'll read about relationships between characters who are 20 something and their parents. Plus, our readers share that it's a great short weekend read. Here's where you can go pick up a copy. Amazon.com Noteworthy Tribute. It comes in paperback and Kindle. Or go to awakenwithmark.com and click the book link. Thank you. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Josiah. Welcome back to Josiah's Voice, the podcast. This is season two, episode nine. And today I'm talking to my friend Shayla Raquel. She's a student Emmy-winning filmmaker. She's a screenwriter and director of seasons one and two of her own series, Quarter Century. And she's the award-winning filmmaker of the short black civil rights film, Rivermint. And I'm really excited to talk to her about her filmmaking career. Uh, she's also from the DMV, where I'm originally from before moving to Los Angeles. And we talk about her roots in theater and how that actually propelled her into filmmaking. She'll also talk about uh, being a student of FAMU. She's got serious FAMU pride, and she talks a lot about that, as well as what it was like uh, working on the film festival circuit programming Rivermint. And last but not least, uh, we also get into the importance of giving back and Shayla's unique organic way of doing that with black businesses in the DMV area. Guys, I really can't wait to get into this episode. Uh, I think you're really going to like it. Last order of business. The next episode coming out two weeks from today is episode 10 of season two, and it will close out season two. I've had a really great time talking to all of my creator friends. Episode 10, I'll be talking to a husband and wife duo, some close college friends of mine, and we're going to discuss their filmmaking journey as well as full-time YouTubers known as Slice and Rice. So stay tuned for that. Until then, let's talk with Shayla today. I hope you enjoy. What's up, everybody? This is Josiah, back again for another episode of Josiah's Voice, the podcast. On today's episode, I'm talking to a, uh, a DMV creator from, from my, my hometown area. Her name is Shayla Raquel, 
and I first heard about her, I was probably suggested on YouTube after watching Awkward Black Girl and up popped this web series called Quarter Century. Quarter Century was a cool web series about millennials who were trying to figure out life post-graduation, trying to figure out their jobs, uh, trying to figure out should they get another degree, uh, love and all types of exciting things. And of course, I'll link all of that in the blog for you, Josiah's Voice Podcast.wordpress.com. I'll make sure all the goodies are there for you. And I met Shayla Raquel at the Pan African Film Festival in Los Angeles, 2019. And uh, it was it was really cool to see her movie Rivermint. We're going to talk about that and just what her film journey has been like and uh, what she's got coming up in the future. Without further ado, guys, meet Shayla Raquel. Hey, Shayla. Hi, Josiah. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thanks again for for doing this. Um, it's been really cool to continue to to watch uh, watch you online and your your career blossom on online. Tell the, the listeners a, a little bit uh, uh, about yourself. What um what inspired you to uh, to get into movies? Was it a movie in particular? Was it an actor? No. What's the story? No. Well, first I'm saying my name is Shayla Raquel, as Josiah had already mentioned, uh, and I am a writer and director. Those are my two specialties when it comes to the filmmaking realm. And how did I get into filmmaking? It actually wasn't a particular movie or an actor or anything of that sort. I was a theater girl. I was a heavy theater girl uh, from, I would say, three years old all the way up through high school. And it was, theater was like a huge part of my life. I was in a drama club. I was very, very dedicated to it. And the medium just kind of shifted for me once I had a teacher, her name was Ms. Valerie Blanshaw. And she, because at one point I wanted to be an actress back then, like middle school and Mm. and high school, I wanted to be on stage. And so I just had a a teacher who was really honest and she said, you know, because I went to an all black high school, she said, you know, it, it really isn't a fair world for our black actresses and so on and so forth. So it's really important for you all to understand behind the camera and behind the stage. And what she told me that I learned like behind the stage, the things that had go on behind the stage and behind the camera. Mm-hmm. And I fell in love with writing and directing actually stage plays, which kind of morphed into film. And that's how I got in, into it. it was just that, that teacher who kind of sparked that in me to try something different not necessarily discouraging me from being an actress, but just saying, you know, becoming a jack of all trades. And I appreciated her for, for that because it really introduced me to pre- basically the love of my life. And I never looked back. I never wanted to be an actress or be in front of the camera again. It was that moment. And I never, I never looked back into, look, into wanting to be in front and center like that again. So that's actually how I got into it. I was a huge theater girl. I was in an opera company when I was in the fifth grade and we wrote our own musicals. And I'm talking 10 years old, nine years old, right? Like not not teachers. We wrote the songs, we did the music, did the costumes, everything and put it together. We were, um, I even remember us traveling to New York and, and 
going to see the Apollo and things of that sort. Whoa. Yeah, we were, um, my, my elementary school was a huge arts, arts school. Okay. And then that just kind of matriculated into middle school where I was in a drama club and still very heavy in the arts there and high school, very, very much so in the arts. And, and it just morphed into that, that new medium. That's cool. I can totally see that, actually, because you are quite the goofball online. It's great. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah that, that, makes, that makes perfect sense. I, yeah, I, think- I was a theater girl. I love, and to this day, and when people ask me, like, my favorite genre of, like, movies, it's musicals. Yeah. I love musicals. Okay. I love them. I, I was a gleek, you know, until it, yeah. you know, it got, until it got, like, crazy, and you couldn't, it was just a lot going on with the characters out in the real world versus <laughs> then, you know, yeah. I kind of let it go. But I was a huge gleek. I love The Wiz. I love Grease. I just loved those. I loved musicals. I love things that just, you know, sing and dance and make you happy. Um, and, that, and I just, I, it just kind of morphed into the film realm because cameras started to become a little bit more savvy. So we mm. went from you know, those, I don't want to say super eight. I think that's way too far back, but my dad had this like camera that took tapes and their tapes were big. And then, then, you know, it kind of morphed into the Sony cyber shots, those really small cameras that only took like maybe five minutes worth of video footage and 240 (laughs) at a time. And, And it just more, you know, it just, everything just kind of morphed into, it was, it happened really fast, but you know that was the that was the era I had got into the film. Not this era where you can get a 4K, 16K camera for a little to nothing. Mm-hmm. It's different. So, but yeah, that's cool. We're, so, did you watch Glee? Or surely you've been in love with Hamilton and and whatnot, right? Yes, I I didn't get a chance to see Hamilton in person, and that yeah, makes me so sad. But those, the tickets were just way too high. But of course, you know, I have yeah. watched it numerous times since it hit the streaming sites. And mm-hmm. I have been in love with it. So, yeah. What's, do you have a favorite song? Uh, no. Is the, answer, is the answer yes? <laughs> All of them. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remembered Lin-Manuel Miranda from an episode, a couple of episodes of House. That was one of my favorite shows back in the day. House? House, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. He was, um, House had gone into rehab. I don't rehab. think I may ever made that connection. And I yeah. used to watch House Heavy. For real, that is one of my all-time favorites. It, it was, um, you might vaguely remember House, I think for three episodes, was in, he cracked up, it was the Vicodin. He find, they finally got him in therapy. Oh, and you know what, what, every episode House was heading <laughs> on the Vicodin. What do you mean? What do you mean? No, Every look, episode, House, yes. until you got to that season where they were like trying to like in, uh, do an intervention on mm-hmm. him and his and his um his addiction to painkillers mm-hmm. and stuff. But every episode, <laughs> every episode, pills and and then saving the world at the very last, saving the in the eleventh hour, last minute after someone clues him in on what's actually going on. Right. No, it, Wilson and Cuddy finally got him to go to therapy or whatever rehab uh, and he met um Lin-Manuel Miranda's character there and his character was a rapper and there's totally an episode where they all put their talents on display in theater 
And I was, and I, I just remember thinking the dude was cool. And then next thing, fast forward to, I guess it would have been 2013, I guess, 14, mm-hmm. somewhere in there when Hamilton blew up. And I was like, yo, that's that dude. And people were like, oh, Josiah, is he that dude? Like he's already been on, bro. I was like, what? Like, so that was the connection I made. So I thought, I thought that was, I thought that was kind of cool. So, and I'm like, I know Shayla's got to be a huge fan <laughs> of uh, of Hamilton. That's a, that's a gifted gifted dude right there. Yeah. But um, cool. that's cool. So theater theater girl, and you went first. Um, you're in the DMV, but you, I'm gonna get it wrong. I'm sorry. It might be because I'm thinking of other family. You're f- actually from the Carolinas, right? Yes, I'm from South Carolina. South. Okay, Southern girl. Um, I went to college in, in Florida, so I went to Florida A&M University, and then right. a job in the D.C. area, so I've been in the D.C. area ever since. Cool, cool, cool. What was, what was, uh, you say at FAMU? Yes, FAMU. What was, what was that like? Because, guys, Shayla's all, she's got serious, serious <laughs> FAMU, FAMU, like she is FAMU. Yeah, well, the thing about FAMU is like they they low key brainwash you. You you uh-huh. it is one of the most school spirited HBCUs okay. out there. You don't go to FAMU and, and not rep it to the wheels fall off. So yeah, I FAMU was one of the best choices I've made in my entire trajectory of life, and yeah. I am so proud of that institution of higher learning. I I sing its praises all the time. And honestly, if it wasn't for FAMU and then the support system that I've built from attending FAMU, I don't think I would be where I am today. And I probably won't be wherever I, I plan on going in the future. It was really that monumental um, within my, my life. So yeah, That's I great. love FAMU. That's wonderful. <laughs> No, that's that's great. Did you also so you were a theater kid? Did you also watch a lot of movies growing up? So I did. I did watch a lot of movies growing okay. up. My um, me and my dad had that type of relationship where me and oh, him would go cool. to like different movies together. If you would ask me which which ones I it were, I have no clue <laughs> because I just remember like just going to the movies with him or like sitting in the living room watching different VHS tapes okay. with him. Um, okay. But yeah, it was more so like theater that kind of got me into movies. Mm-hmm. And then, and then I'm also just spending that quality time with my dad. And then once I decided that I really loved filmmaking, then that's when I went back and I was just like, okay, let me actually watch these, watch movies that, watch movies with a, a, an eye, you know, like actually mm-hmm. paying attention to certain things and, and learn the craft from, from that. So I guess you could say, some people would say, I guess I did it backwards, but, you know, cause some people will say, well, this movie was the thing that made me want to be a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And it really wasn't just that, it was just me loving the arts, like me loving creative processes and being, in a, being a child. So like, I'm talking like I'm I'm talking about elementary and middle school, but I'm talking being three years old and plant and being in my church plays and mm-hmm. helping my church uh, with their plays and singing and dancing in those and seeing like stage directions and um, production design and and costumes and just and 
movement and hitting your lights from that early of an age, mm-hmm. that is what kind of got me into because it those two mediums they kind of go hand in hand. Now, yeah. so I mean they are they're they're very very different, but they they really go hand in hand. So that's what really got me into it more so than watching films. But now I'm a, a huge, um, big movie person. I had movie pass before, you know, it went belly up. I have mm. the regal, the regal card now, <laughs> where I can see my unlimited movies. I was hitting the movie theaters two to three times a week until you know COVID happened. Mm-hmm. So yeah, now I'm, a, I'm now I'm the big, huge movie movie watcher. What do you remember? What the last thing you saw was before lockdown? Oh, I can tell you by going through my Regal app. <laughs> I feel like it was probably um, what is that movie? It was a, it was a, a horror film. It was a horror film that came out, and she was like, she was it was an Invisible Man or something like that. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Um, that was the last one I saw. Okay, because that's funny. I was about to say us, but I'm like, no, I think that came out last year. No, no, no. no. This one, this was like yeah. this year. Yeah, that's a funny connection though, because isn't Moss in us, and she's also an Invisible Man? So, hi, little connection there. Y'all see how I did that? Um, yeah. yeah, I need to check that out. I heard that was actually kind of, kind of cool. Actually, I usually don't do horror because I'm chicken. If I haven't said that before, guys, on a podcast, I usually don't do horror films, but. Uh, I, I do like a, a thriller and, and a mystery, you know, like I love Get Out, you know, but I also love like Knives Out. And you know, I like said that. that, but actually I said it was that movie, but actually it was the Issa Rae movie for oh. Valentine's Day. Uh, the Photograph. The Photograph. That was the last movie I saw. I f- okay. I finally, I didn't, yeah, I mean, big surprise was like, nah, I didn't, I didn't get to see it. It was just like, nope. Yeah. Um, but I did finally check it out. Like a couple weeks later, so. Back to what we were saying about your your origin. So it sound, it kind of sounds like you also kind of fell in love with the theater of filmmaking. I like how you said, you know, hitting your lights, hitting your marks, mm-hmm. watching everyone's movement mm-hmm. to make everything like come come together. I think. Yeah. Um, I, I was in love with that, but honestly, I fell in love with audiences. And the Ooh, okay. filmmaking gave me a chance to not be on the stage and just watch an audience react to things. Mm. Does that make sense? So, yeah, it, yeah. Look, so that was, I think, honestly, now that I'm sitting here thinking about this, I think that was why, how that transition was so um, seamless for me. Because I enjoy audience. I love that audience dynamics. That is mm-hmm. why I love filmmaking. That is why I do filmmaking. I love to hear the audience react to certain things that I created. And so going from theater where you're, you can barely hear the audience dynamics because you're on stage, the lights are bright. You can barely see them. You can barely see how they're feeling about certain things or, you know, if they're bored at a certain part or if they're attentive at a certain part to film where you can just take a step back and you can watch the audience, watch your film and you can fully see them reacting. Um, there's no bright light in your face. You can hear them laugh. You can hear them cry. You can hear them gasp to something that you've created. That transition was really seamless. And I, I enjoyed that. 
that's yeah you like feeding off the energy i wasn't watching my film i was watching the audience watch my film and i know it sounds creepy right it sounds really creepy but i I do i like to listen to the audience watch my work and and just listen to that response that that is what you know i love about both mediums but filmmaking probably the most is it like you can also feel does that go into when you're doing characters or setting up your scenes where you do you ever feel like guys i made this for you but i definitely made this scene for you i can hear them now did do you, does that happen or am, am i taking it too far now i don't so i don't think so <laughs> i'm making things i really am just making it for me like it is it is my outlet Brilliant. me just releasing whatever thoughts and creativity I just want into the world and then once I release it once I give like that baby into the world then it becomes the world's and then I'm just watching the world take care of it does that make sense like I'm watching see what the world does does to that baby that I I've created that baby of creativity let me let me be um clear yeah I think that's how it is I really am making when I when I'm writing and and directing I really am making it for me it's really an outlet for me and then it's like once I've done that and I've had that outlet and I've had that release I'm just now seeing how everyone else reacts to that like we've all heard Toni Morrison God rest her said you know mm-hmm. write the book or the story that you want to read absolutely right or um, I think Tarantino has said, like, when he writes his script, he kind of gets something like tunnel vision. He might yeah. even overwrite because he's like, it's about, for him, it's about the page. Yeah. Um, or Peter Jackson was like, I made Lord of the Rings or any given movie for me because I'd want to go to the theater and check it out. So I think that's, so I think that's great. That's wonderful that you, that you have that attitude. I recently uh, checked out, um, I hope I have this right, because I just saw it. Life's Checklist, you had shared that on Twitter. <laughs> Your first movie. It was. That's my um, very first short film. Yeah, what, what inspired Life's Checklist? I was in a, a stage in my life where a lot of people around me were getting um, married and engaged, mm. and I just wanted to explore that as a concept and, um, and just talk about my generation's mm-hmm. I guess infatuation with marriage and how, you know, we, we are always being told, Oh, you should have a partner and be married and have kids and this and that by 30. And I think at the time life checklist came out or when I was doing a life checklist, I was probably 25 or 26. And so I just wanted to explore that, that concept of like getting, getting the reasons to get married and Mm. how they should not be because you feel like there's nothing left to do or you feel like you know 30 is approaching you should be getting married because you know, because or you know doing all of these huge life stepping stones because you know you want to you're ready for that and if you aren't ready for that and you are 30 or however old you are there's nothing wrong with that and there's nothing wrong with you and so that was where life checklist kind of stemmed from. It was a very, very fast short film. We shot it in two days. What? Yeah, yep, we shot it in two days. We had a budget of two hundred dollars. We shot that that film in, with two hundred dollars and a prayer. <laughs> <laughs> and he heard because I was like, "Man, she was in 
they rented out the restaurant. The mm -hmm. brothers got tuxes. The sisters got dresses. They was in I church. Community though, and that and that goes to what you said. Just having a strong support system in a community that really believes in you. Those tuxes were those tux were um, donated to us by a a a business a small business within dc and all we did was send them an email let them know we were students let them know what we were trying to do and they were like sure give us the sizes we'll have some texts ready for you and it was it was really that simple and wow. we put their their information in the in the back of the film the the floral design were a friend who worked with me a co-worker who mm -hmm. who did creative floral designs so for the wedding, I reached out to her and she, she did a few things for me. And the dresses we got for like $15 off of a random website. Wow. Um, it was little things like that, you know? Yeah. So wow. That really made it come together and work. And I always think, you know, it's a, that was my first short film. So there's, mm. I, I can't even bear to watch it. It's so many things I would do differently to it. Mm. One would be have an actual budget, <laughs> <laughs> but I think for what it was at the time, like, especially like for instance, sound and, and color grade, we didn't do any of that stuff. We were just mm. trying to get a film made. And so, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. I'm I'm kind of like, well, for what we had and the resources we had, we we made a, a pretty decent film, and I think it, it set a great foundation for the next film, which was Rivermint. Yes, no, because I, man, first off, just you're watching it. Um, I really felt like, um, dang, I can see because I'm thinking about quarter century, and I'm thinking about Rivermint. And I'm like, oh, I see where I just felt like I was tracking all these different decisions you made where I'm like, oh, that's where that, that's <laughs> where it like. part of being like an auteur filmmaker that you're just never done with yeah. making a, a, a particular film. You're just really and truly making the same film over and over and over again. Yeah. And I feel like that is, that's, I, I, I did not see that until people started to point it out. You know, and then okay. I was like, okay, now I, I, I can see what you guys are saying. I do gravitate towards the same stuff. I do think I am telling the same things, trying to um do the same, not tell the same story, but in the right. same way with the same and just better myself with each one. So, yeah, no, for it, because like what I was thinking of was definitely, um, I'm glad you receive it as a compliment because I believe we're paying that to you because I'm from your sense of community, because you just love, you're outgoing, you're gregarious, you're daring, you're like, you know, hey, we're doing a film, can we, you know, use your location, or can we, you know, donations, and, you know, you're putting people on left and right to just, to just give back. Um, I love how you, you plug, I've been trying to, to do the same thing here, um, and be cool with it, because I'm like, dang, I wish I could do more, like, you know, it's just a link, but it's, you never know how it might bless somebody to see someone's business at the end Absolutely. because it might cater to hair, food, you, you know, you, you already know, I don't, I don't need to tell yeah. you, but like that aspect I thought was cool seeing that in life's checklist um, to that theme of, you know, people in their, in their twenties trying to figure out life, family to, um, to even seeing that sense of like your command of, uh, the camera, a lot of the angles you did, I was like, 
Yeah, man. She she loves film. Man, <laughs> it just she she and her people had a great had a great time. Is just seeing just a lot of the different angles and things. Um, just communicate exactly what you wanted them to and put on display the characters that you wanted. And to to see that go into quarter century, mm-hmm. I think I think was was really cool. How how soon did quarter century happen after um Life Checklist? And how what was well, that experience actually, like? Life Checklist was my first short film, but Quarter okay. Century was first overall. Quarter oh. Century was the, the cool. um web series that got me into film school to make life's checklist. We had no clue what we were doing with quarter century. It was a crew of, of three, sometimes four. Mm-hmm. Um, it really was just a passion project of me being 23 years old, definitely afraid of turning 25 eventually, and feeling stuck in my job and stuck where I not really happy with where I was in life and deciding to gather friends together and shoot a web series. And that was literally what it was. And we did we it was we were inspired of course by Awkward Black Girl. Awkward Black Girl had mm. kind of I don't it wasn't even it didn't even like take off yet. It was just like a really dope right. web series right. on yeah. YouTube. And um, that we just, you know, loved. Um, shout out to mm-hmm. Issa Rae. Like, shout out Issa. To see, you know, go from that to to that is where she is now. It's just a phenomenal trajectory. Mm-hmm. But it, it really was. It was just like, you know, seeing Issa and seeing her be able to do it. We were like, you know, we got, we have Canon. Now, you know, the Canon DSLRs came out. So, yeah, we got Canon DSLRs. We can, we can shoot something like this. And didn't have any, like, blueprint. Didn't know how to really do it. We were writing the scripts as it, as we were shooting that first season. Um, we we sh- we had like wrote the first three episodes. Then after that, we were writing the episodes as we shoot. So like, say for instance, someone on the set made us mad, then you probably wouldn't see them in that next episode. Or so like, we were we were just really we were just winging it. And then for me to like, and then that was it. We put it out. We didn't really do huge promotions of it. And then it just kind of like people on Twitter really, um, really connected with it mm-hmm. because we were, it was just that that generational thing of just graduating and being let out into the real world and telling and being told you need to adult and not having any type of blueprint on how to actually be an adult and just feeling the angst when it comes to that. And so that was really what quarter century was. We didn't have a, a budget. I would I would take my paychecks from my job and try to get some food. It just mm-hmm. and we just had some dedicated um, people who who my friends and then people who just saw what we were doing and wanted to be a part and became lifelong friends. To this day, like if you if you just look at the the resumes of the people who the especially that first season second season too amazing but mm. that first season the second season cast they are all doing such amazing things like they are killing it out in they're like most of them are out in la right now and just and killing it and some of them had no interest in acting whatsoever it was just something they just thought it was fun and wanted to do and it really was just a a passion project where I really felt like, well, I don't like where I am. I'm, I'm feeling stuck. I have to create something. Mm-hmm. And it just ended up kind of taking off in the YouTube um, world. And then 
I just used that in order to get into film school. And that was, that was the huge stepping stone. That's amazing. And it was, yeah, I, and I feel bad because I, I was literally just rewatching some, ep- some episodes of Quarter well, Century. I, you know, I can't um, watch it. I, I can't, I can't watch it at all. Now, yeah. now that I am where, I, like, the training that I have, mm-hmm. and I cannot, it's funny, you know, people actually say that about their work too. Like, I yeah. can't watch me, I, I cannot watch Quarter Century. And though I'm very, very proud of it, 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 it was done what we had to, it was one of right. the things that was done with what we had. I'm very proud of everything about it. I cannot watch it <laughs> at all. Just like, oh, no, I no. cannot watch it. <laughs> No, I know. I understand. I was just thinking of, uh, of uh, yeah, actors like I don't. Uh, does Denzel watch it? Watch his movie. He's the first one who came came to mind. But um, no, I get it because you you were in that. You did what you did when you did it. Then you learned your lessons. You had a, a great time. Shout outs to your. I feel horrible for getting her name because it keeps coming up on the screen. Your lead actress from season one because she was totally at my job. I think I. Alana. Yes, congr- She was. I was like. Where have I? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm just back there wrangling she was, she was cable. Like the, one of the anchors for Bossa for a while, like she's out in LA. Yep. Yeah, Brandon Gray is the the celebrity stylist and has a a, a whole clothing line like he's just killing it out there in LA Jonathan's killing it out there I, I think Jonathan is in New York but he was okay. on Grand Hustle um with T.I. like wow. Deshaun is on every commercial you turn on your TV you're gonna see a commercial with Deshaun like you have um Anaz who is like a dancer for like major musical talent is like if they were on that set, you name it, they're killing it right now. And I'm just so proud of everything that they are doing. Yeah, you must be, must feel like a proud mama right now. I am. <laughs> I feel like a proud mom. A that proud is mom. great. No, that's that's wonderful. And it's and I love, like listening to interviews with them talk about it. Like, yeah, yeah. like it just makes me, makes my heart flutter, makes me smile. And it also motivates me like, yeah, like, you know, you have a purpose. You're walking in it. Keep mm-hmm. going. Um, this is this is what you were meant to do. Yeah. Wow. That's that's wonderful because you're giving you're giving back like in your in your own way, and it's fine. And mm-hmm. you're seeing the fruits of of all of all your labor. Because I was just at Fox Soul, just wrangling cable, and there there was Alana right there. I was like, what? Where have I? Where have you seen her from? Yeah. And boom! I was like, "No way! Wow!" Let me see if I can hit up Shayla real quick. I didn't, you know. It, you, I I wanted to go say what's up super quick and just be like, "Yo, I totally remember you from this web series." I totally, uh, Shayla. It was just it was a fun experience. Thank you for being on the show. But it's wonderful, like you said, to see to be able to pick people out yeah. because they're still hustling and they're still. Yeah. reveling in their blessing and in their craft and to just to just see that it's just yeah it's it's gotta feel it's gotta feel good and i'm i'm really proud of you and your and your team for that and for for being able to to continue to rise that way so rivermint first off what's what's rivermint about 
tell so people what it is a conversation between two different generations of activists um and it follows a a grandmother who was a former civil rights activist in the 60s who fears for the safety and, and sanity of her granddaughter who decides to follow in her footsteps of activism and so rivermint was inspired actually by a conversation between me and my own grandmother because as we stated earlier i'm from south carolina mm -hmm. my grandmother and grandparents they grew up in south carolina um in the 40s 50s and 60s so we're talking the jim crow south mm -hmm. so while growing up i used to listen to all of their stories about all the different things they encountered all the different things they had to go through basically all the triumphs they had and just listening to how resilient they we were as a people. Yes, and so yes. growing up in that type of environment, I was really racially aware. I knew my history, I knew myself, I knew the importance of family, I knew the importance of my culture. And my, my grandparents were very, very, very supportive in that. My very first protest I went to when I was nine years old to, mm -hmm. and that was to get the Confederate flag down. This is, eons before i believe her name was Brittany. she climbed up there and took right. it so this was probably a smooth 15 15 20 years before then and wow. so um just had being in that type of environment i was very racially aware and i knew it was community was important and you know you have to fight for what you believed in and so you know this was never a new movement however mm -hmm the spotlight came on it because of social media of um, police brutality with Trayvon Martin's death. And then Mike Brown, which was, I think, from 2014, 2015. Yeah. And I just knew I wanted to be involved in some capacity. I didn't know what capacity, but I just knew I wanted to have been involved in and help within this new movement that was brewing. And I was getting ready to go to a protest in, in downtown DC. And I remember calling my grandmother and letting her know, hey, I'm about to go out here, I'm gonna march. And it went from that supportive grandmother who, you know, was telling me about how she had to teach the elders how to vote and this and then the third to, you know, you need to be safe. I need you to be safe. Sometimes you just need to turn off the news. You know, we did those things back then so that you guys didn't have to. And just listening to that and hearing the difference, it made me want to explore that as a concept. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I could do a documentary, but why do a documentary when I could do something narrative and really show the um, differences between the two generations and how they handle their movements but also show that at the end of the day, the civil rights movement and the activists in the civil rights movement, they laid down the blueprint, the youth carried the torch. And though we may have differences in how we are deciding to go about things, at the end of the day, we still have work to be done so that our grandchildren and their grandchildren aren't fighting the same exact fight. So that's how Rivermint came about. I wrote it in a writing for short film class in 2015 or 2016 and then 20 the summer of 2016 we launched the kickstarter and that began the process it was a basically a, a two-year process we wrote it kickstarter was in 2016 started shooting in 2016 had all the hiccups anything you can think go wrong on the set it happened and so mm -hmm. we ended up stopping to yeah. fundraise some more 
Okay. And we reconvened in 2017. And in 2017, we actually finished shooting. And we used all of 2017 and a little of 2018 for post-production. And then we hit the festival circuit um, in spring of 2018. And we closed out the festival circuit end of 2019. So yeah, it's, it's been a long road. <laughs> and that was just a short film. So right. I think it's funny when people think of like these features and are expecting them to roll out one year. No, it's some people <laughs> who they're they're not they're not lying when they say though this is a 10-year process, this is a five-year process, and these are bigger budgets. So yeah. It takes patience to be a filmmaker. Yes, it does, because sometimes things get shelved or you have to write something on the fly or mm-hmm. money falls falls through, you know, all the hiccups, uh, as you say, or you have to recast or or some, you know, anything can happen. You have to have steely, steely resolve. And I think that was on full display in Rivermint from you and from everyone who contributed, the actors, sound like everybody to me was like firing on on all cylinders um and it's just it's amazing what was it like like to to do flashbacks with period piece costuming and props like that car i was like yeah what (laughs) that do what model car was that it was a 1939 yeah it was a 30s car And so it was hard. I this and this is why I I stress the importance of a tribe, support system, and team because none of that would have happened. None of it would have happened without the the my team. Um, my production designer Yildiz Yomaz. Oh, she's phenomenal, and she she has so many great connections, and I, I love working with her. And so she um, collaborated with a, a, a um, classic car company within Virginia. And so that's how we were able to get those classic cars for the 1960 pieces. And then also she she has her own thrift. She owns her own thrift shop. So she was able to oh. get lots of the costuming. And then, of course, you know, we went to Salvation Army and got some things um, through that as well. So, yeah, she really worked magic with um just using the salvation army the thrift shops and her her connections mm-hmm. um she i i cannot take even though you know we've had lots of meetings and um she knew my vision i cannot take any credit for that whatsoever because she she took my my lookbooks and she took mm-hmm. my vision and she ran with it and then i would literally just walk on set and the production design was done and I was like, well, <laughs> guess we can get started. Right. <laughs> um, and, and that's a really beautiful thing, you know, as to be a director and not have to, the, someone take your vision and execute it phenomenally. And you don't have to worry about those things. Um, and I, um, she did her research. She made sure that, you know, top things fit the time period we were trying to go for. And I appreciate her that for that um, wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. Um, she really helped make that her the like those those roles production design MUA those art artistic roles they they make it come to life they right. they bring that authenticity to it while we while we're focusing on performances and and so on and so forth so yeah shout out to you this 
how I ideal it is. <laughs> wow. Yeah, because those the it just the from from the 1930s car to the costuming to the the glasses, the yeah. hair. I was just like, they did not come here to play with y'all. <laughs> It was just, it was just really had a little bit more money for the hair budget. That's one thing I look back on. I was like, oh, you can really tell those are wigs. But I mean, you know, it was a short film. It's, it wasn't a big budget film and we made it work with what we had. I'm, I'm yes. still very, very, very proud of it. <laughs> yes. No. And, and you should be. Um, I gotta, um, I don't remember if we, I know it was forever ago, I guess at this point, if we talked about it briefly at, um, Pan-African Film Festival where, where Shayla, um, where she and I met and she had screened the film. Um, the protest scene, mm. I think is, is like technically, uh, the whole movie is, is awesome. Um, but from a technical, like Ugh. me being on sets and things like that and still trying to figure out, okay, Josiah, do you just wanna write for the rest of your life? You never set foot on set again, wait a minute that was fire. Maybe you do want to go back on. It was just that the wheels turned in my head. Shayla, I don't mean to gas you up, but I do. Just there's that protest scene, I think I is I amazing. I think go, when I watch it, I'm like, how did we pull that off with the money that we had? Bruh. <laughs> it's amazing. I would, Shayla, when I looked at that scene, uh, that whole sequence, the, 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 the lighting, the fog, the costumes, the camera angles. I think those are the ones I really, like you, you, whether you're on camera or you're DP, I was like, I, I felt like, I think you'll like this. I felt like we, okay, we can do this. Yeah. I felt like Josiah, you could, you could do that. Like she just gave you the blueprint for, it could have been a feature film, could have been, it's a short film, could have been commercial, whatever. I was like, Oh, so that's so you you could you you could experiment with these tight angles here. You could exp you could do fog this way. You could ang tilt up that way. You could it fe it felt like I was there, and it felt like like she she been doing. I mean, I know you've been doing this, but it's like you've been doing this. <laughs> you know, and I I really did just feel like guys. Is I think I looked around in that dark auditorium. That's one and, of my and whispered, we guys, we could do this. There that's it is. My, that's one of my favorite parts when I talk about like listening to audience dynamics. The protest mm -hmm. scene is my favorite part to watch an audience. Um, watch an audience watch the protest scene. It's that that moment. I don't want to like you know spill it for anyone who hasn't seen yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But there's a moment in there where usually I can feel the entire audience hold their breath. Yeah. And I, and that's and then there's a release like maybe five seconds later, but it feels so much longer than that. And I just love watching the audience through that entire sequence. It's just like, I'm on the roller coaster. I'm on the roller coaster with them. And so I know it's probably, it's not a smiling moment, but I, I, I sit right. there with, my, my, <laughs> with a <laughs> smile on my face every time. <laughs> yeah, you should because it, um, it re it really felt like it was like accessible. It felt like, um, as an aspiring as a filmmaker, I felt like yeah. I I know I've said it like a million times, 
but there was just something about it, you know, because because thank God, you know, for YouTube University and whatnot, you, you know, guys, you can't go to film school. There's YouTube, there's Film Riot, there's Letters from the Screenplay, there's all types of these awesome, uh, you know, free resources and whatnot who are like, here's how Sorkin wrote this. So here's how you can, or here's how you use these plugins for special effects. And it felt that sequence really felt like Shayla was like, okay, guys, here's here's how I did it. Here's maybe how you could do it if you are trying to portray something really emotional and powerful like this with this many extras and these many moving moving parts. Was how tough or what were the challenges with with that with that scene and how good did it feel when you pulled it off? I, when I went into that scene, I I had I had a shot list one, and I had way more shots than we would we would be able to actually do in the time period that we had allotted for filming. So that was difficult, just, you know, being able to, we, well, in film school, we call it kill your baby. Mm -hmm. uh, take out some shots that you actually really want in order to get it done. But it was, the thing about that was it was so, it was planned so well. Shout mm -hmm. out to my producers, shout out to my, my producers, Meet Your Arthur and Lindsay Sitz, and shout out to my DP, Ross Godwin. Oh my goodness, he killed that. It was, we, we, we spent months planning that riot scene and we knew we wanted it to be the last thing we shot, the very last thing we shot for that film so that it could be that triumphant moment of we are done. We don't have to shoot anymore. Okay. Um, so we spent months, we spent months on, on planning that. We knew how many extras we wanted to, we wanted to have. We didn't want to have too many. We knew that certain shots would have to take a certain lens and be mm -hmm. tight because we didn't we didn't have the the budget for a hundred sub extras. So I think we probably only had like maybe 20, 20 or thirty, if that. I see. I couldn't the way y'all set it up. Yeah, I, like I told myself, there probably there there can't be that many people there, but they oh, they they I made sure I felt like there were. So hats off. We collaborated with a stunt company called, um, I believe they're called DC Stunts. Shout out to nice. them. They are amazing. They provided a lot of people for us. And then they helped do like the police stunts and the mm -hmm. police yeah. sections of it to make it uh, as authentic as possible and also safe as possible. So it, like I said, it was just months and months of planning and knowing what resources going in knowing what resources we had and how to work around any lack of resources in order to make it just as as make it as high budget as looking as possible with a very small budget and i think we were able to there's some things i i think i feel like i would have done differently if i had more money but um i i still feel like you know we did what we had to do with what we mm -hmm. had and we killed it and I'm very, very proud. I think that after we finished shooting, we finished shooting probably like two o'clock in the morning. Okay. Uh, we didn't start until like late because we had to wait till the sun goes down. So, mm -hmm. and I just remember just breaking down crying. I was just like, mm -hmm. wow, like I cannot believe we just completed this. Um, wow. Yeah, it was, it was a very huge just moment for all of us where we were just like, we couldn't believe we actually that was an bit like it, first of all, Riverdale was a, sh a student film. Okay. And this was also American University, so this isn't NYU. This isn't the USC. This isn't UCLA. This isn't these big right. film schools with these huge budgets. This was money out of our own. This is us 
hustling for our own monies in order to make a film. And most people, when you go to like those smaller film schools that don't have like the celebrity backing and things of that sort, people like make their thesis films just something really small to just kind of get through so that they can move on into the film industry and, and work their way up. And I just, I had a vision. I was like, I want my thesis film. I remember seeing a Spike Lee interview talking about his thesis film from NYU and how your thesis film should be something that propels your career forward, that you're that proud of and use basically as like a calling card. And that really yeah. stuck with me. And so we took our time and we wanted to make sure that Riverman was, was that, even though, you know, we didn't have all the resources in NYU or USC film school would have, we wanted it to, to be, you know, as close as possible. And I think we, we tried and we, we hit the mark and I'm really, really proud of the conversations. I'm really, really proud of, you know, what it did in the festival circuit. And, you know, I had an interview with that acts, you know, is Riverman evergreen? I wish it wasn't. <laughs> you say, say again? I had an interview where the person had asked if Rivermint was evergreen. And I, I remember telling them, I wish it wasn't evergreen because then that means okay. we wouldn't be writing that same. Yes. That, that would mean that Rivermint, which was written in 2015 and mm -hmm. came out in 2018, wouldn't be relevant today, but it is. Right. Um, and that's unfortunate. But mm -hmm. yeah, we, we, we really just were intentional. Intentional filmmaking is so important. And, we were intentional about everything that we were doing with that. And I think it came out nicely. Yes. Congratulations again. It was just, wow. It was, it was amazing. I love the, uh, the conversations that, um, that inspired it. Um, Cause I, I remember, you know, um, God rest, you know, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor and countless others um, who lost their lives this year to police brutality. What were the conversations like? What does the conversation stand out with your lead actress and shout out her name? And, and Nicolette, shout out to <laughs> Nicolette. And it's Diane. Miss Diane played the grandmother. Mm -hmm. they, they did excellent. And I got both of them from an acting studio. So I want to shout that acting studio out as well. McKinnon Acting Studio, led by Mark McKinnon here in DC. I love whenever I need actors and actresses. I love going to his studio and, and looking at the talent that he is nurturing into just great actors and people within the industry. So, yeah. Well, would I be right in saying they're playing you and your grandmother uh, loosely? That's really, really, yes, very loosely. Because it, it did it stem from my, my grandmother and, and me and our conversation that we had. But that was one of the things that I had to, to adjust when it comes to writing. Okay. Um, separating myself from the characters because okay. you know as writers we do we we do take bits and pieces of ourselves or bits and pieces right. of that we love and we put them into characters but you know your characters have to be able to stand on their own and that was something I had to learn while writing Riverman they have to they are in that world that you're creating on their own and they have to stand on their own and just because you've taken pieces of yourself and, and instilled it into them doesn't mean that they are you and so that was something I had to really separate myself from Tyna there was a uh, the moment where she she throw she hits the bat in the window I would never do that I, that's that's not what I would do mm -hmm. um but 
Tina's character would. She was frustrated. She wasn't feeling heard. Um, her, she wasn't. She wasn't feeling supported by her her family at that point. It was a. It was a lot going on. So out of her frustration, she she wanted to she wanted to do something to to get the attention on what she wanted the attention was on, and that was um, the 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 girl who fell at the hands of right. police brutality. Mm-hmm. And so, and when writing, I did she wasn't the person who who did that that huge you know major moment of the film it was her boyfriend Kyrian mm-hmm. and I had a professor um Dr. Myers and I remember her reading that draft and her saying why would you take that moment from Tina this is her story this is her story and I that's remember, what your professor said yeah and I remember, I remember him and I like ah oh, no but she would she's like but this character isn't you this character is Tina Tina would do this. I'm reading this, and this is something Tina would do, and that really, that really stuck with me. Um, Ty, she I snatched her from you. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, I recently saw an interview. I think her name is Tyresha Poe. She directed Yes, um, Selling the Spades. Selling the Spades, and she Whew. did an interview with Barry um, Jenkins um, for I think it was ABFF, and she said, "Separate yourself from the ego, just okay. the story from your ego, and how." Um, with your ego, you you have in your mindset how you want this to go, how you want this to go. But sometimes the story is leading you to places where it needs to just go like naturally, and you have to right. take your ego out of it and allow that to happen, and you will see just how how well it'll blossom. And she said that so eloquently, um, and I was just like, yeah, that's basically essentially what my professor was saying to me in that moment. And I'm so happy we made those decisions. It was so a few other decisions that happened with the writing process that was like that, but that's the major one that's, that I can remember right now. No, that's great. Cause I, I'm thinking of some experiences in writing classes and writing scripts where essentially the same, yeah, the same lesson applies of like trying to let the character stand on their own, like you said, and finding their voice, finding their own, like how do they flex? you know, in their world or, or, or how do they navigate? Um, just because it's a piece, you know, of, of you, you know, I feel it sounds like a horcrux from Harry Potter, but, um, but, but you're right. It's a piece of you. And then you're, it's kind of, I guess you're the springboard and then they, they're the ones who have to dive in to like the rest of the story. And they got to like, they got to swim the race, but they got to do it their way. Yeah. Without you, like, you know, like you said, him and Han or, or restricting them. I guess it's sometimes why some people say, well, my character didn't want to do that. And I know it sounds weird, but it's <laughs> some sometimes, especially in the hands of strong writers, that's right on point. Yeah. And you can see it on display when when they knock it, when the writers knock it out of the um, knock it out of the park. Um, I totally need to go find after selling the space. I feel like I fell through countless interviews I could not stop thinking about that movie, but I don't think I saw that Barry Jenkins interview, so I have to go find it. I will make a note of that um, because um, I think uh, Poe, Miss Poe, just said so many amazing, amazing things um, about writing and about your your characters, and I think it's great that you bring that up as it affected you and your character. Um, did I say it right, Tina? Did I say that right? Tina, yes. Tina. Um, and I think and, he chose Tina because Tina means water or something like that. Uh, <laughs> a sense of maybe flexibility, perhaps. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it, it literally means river. 
That, okay, I like that. So you're winking at the, you know, river mint type guys. You get, no, that's great. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that. Wow, that's, uh, <laughs> I just can't stop thinking about it. That is, that's wonderful. And thank you for sharing that, that lesson and how uh, you and uh, the actress went through that and how your professor just kind of roped that in. And clearly you're going to be able to carry that. That's going to propel you even further because now you can't unlearn a lesson like that. Mm -hmm. um, and it just kind of permeates um, and just fills every space of the writing, kind of like, I guess, kind of like water. Um, and I think that's that's great. Is that, that's some of the ways, that you're, I got a question here about like, how have you grown since your first project? Would that be something, I guess, would that be what you just described, one of the key ways you have? Yeah. Grown? Since you've probably put, you've put a little bit of yourself from, um, life checklist to quarter century to to yeah. to Riverman. I think the, one of the key ways that I've grown from looking at quarter century to now is just being intentional, intentionality, um, no know, knowing how to tell a story, and then knowing that um, looking at ways outside of what the audience sees face value in order to intentionally tell a story. So for instance, um, choosing the, the name China because it means river instead of just choosing any old name, um, choosing certain lighting setups because they help enhance the story versus just making sure you could see them on camera. Um, that's, that's the difference between then and now. I think I, I've developed a style that I, I love and I, I always gravitate towards. And then I'm just constantly practicing that style and honing it and making it my own versus mm -hmm. quarter century when I, I really didn't have no clue in what I was doing. I just knew I needed to make something. Yeah. And so I, I'm just continuously honing that and continuously practicing that and building upon that and hoping that with every project that I complete, it, it's better than the last project. Absolutely. And that's, that's really important too, isn't it? To have made some, to make something and not really know, like, like what is, where's it going? Or what am I, you know, like, was that really, like, especially looking back, was that really important? And I mean, I'm sure it was fun and challenging, but like, sometimes you do just need to like execute mm -hmm. on something yeah. and, and not get kind of, I sometimes, I don't know if you do. Sometimes I do get kind of trapped, you know, what, what do they call it? Um, paralysis through analysis or something, you know, something like that of like, well, do I have, is it the right time? Do I have, is this my calling card? Is this? There's a middle ground in there you, and you have to find that middle ground. I tell people all the time, like, you're going to have to leap eventually. Yeah. You can do all the planning in the world, but eventually you're going to have to leap or you're going to just three, five, 10, 15, 20 years from now, you're still going to be planning things. Um, so you have to find that middle ground, though. With Riverman, I think we were able to find that middle ground. We had mm -hmm. a nice budget. We were able to um, do our Kickstarter, and our Kickstarter raised twenty-one thousand dollars. So there was so the planning, the pre-production had to begin. We had to actually get started. And once you pre-production all day long, and and you know you have your lookbook, you have your shot list, you have your production designer working on, you have your your locations you have your props you have your makeup you have your hair you're going to have to eventually get the cameras rolling some people never get to that point some people never get to that pre-production point they just they're continuously still sitting looking at that same page over and over again of a beautiful film that they've written mm -hmm. or 
and just won't allow other people to read it to get it out there. Or they have this idea in their head and they're just steady trying to perfect it in their head and they won't move forward to the next step. So eventually I think that with everything, there comes a point where you have to know to move on to the next step. Um, and you just have to have that, find that middle ground or else you just will never move forward. It, you have to have forward movement. That's the whole point of movement. There has to be forward movement in everything. I love that because it reminds me of um, a project I did with some friends years and years ago, and I was getting paralyzed by all these things. And I was talking to my dad about all the plans and things I wanted to do. And he just said, I don't know, just do it, essentially. I don't know, is this a Nike commercial now? Um, he said, yeah, he said, just, you're thinking too much about it. Just corral your friends together, go out where you needed to go. And, and we did it. And it did it two different times. It was like this kind of stop motion photography thing. I was trying to figure out movies. I hadn't gone to Towson yet. I felt so good when I got it done. I was like, ah. And and I'm editing it on what what was I using? Windows Movie or whatever it was. It was just using (laughs) just using whatever I had. Because then it's like, well, you don't have no premiere. So I guess you can't make your movie. Or oh you my my little videos and stuff I was making in college, those were on Windows Movie Maker. We didn't have money for hey. Premiere wasn't on a, a cloud basis. You had right. to pay five hundred something dollars to a thousand something dollars for Premiere. So yeah. um or you had to do something illegal like torrent it. No, mm-hmm. Windows Movie Maker was free. You yeah. can add, have add-ons on there to make it just as sophisticated and we would make it work. For Rivermint, can people um, see Rivermint online? Yeah. Um, if it, you have a subscription okay. to Quali TV, it is streaming on Quali TV. Um, what? That is a Yes, it's a Black-owned um, yeah. service. So I recommend everyone go out and support it. It's, um, it's, pretty, it's pretty affordable. Yeah. So definitely go and um, support it. It's made by Deshauna. And she's a DMV native. I think she's DC native. So yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Quelly TV was is originated in DC. Mm-hmm. Deshana. Yes. Oh my gosh! I didn't. I'm new to Quelly TV. Um, yes. fr- good, good friend of mine and I were just talking about their their catalog. Um, just a few months ago, and we were just going through their Instagram and their website, and I was just like, "Yo, look at all this content." I had no idea this was okay, originated in the DMV. The untruth. I just told the untruth. She's a Memphis native, but she's been living in DC for a while. She lives in DC. Gotcha. Okay. So I still okay. I still yeah. feel good. <laughs> no, it's okay. I still I still feel good though. Cause she no, okay, it's fine. But okay, that's great. Okay. And guys, I'm gonna on the blog, I will find the the specific Rivermint link on Quelly TV. You guys should check out Quelly TV and I will put that on the blog so people can go watch um go watch and and support i think that's that's great shayla um weren't you wasn't rivermint also on revolt yes no. so it's, it's been on two um network television channels it's been on inspire tv which is owned by magic johnson mm-hmm. syndicated on there and if you go to their guy you can catch you catch stand up the stand-up episode, okay. you'll you'll be able to catch the short there, and then it's also on Revolt. I believe it's season two, episode two of Revolts. Um, um, 
filmmakers, like rising filmmakers show. And yeah, you can catch it on, on television on those two platforms. How cool was that? Your stuff was oh, on man. TV. Oh man, I, I had, I think I passed out. It was, just, <laughs> <laughs> it was so, surreal. you know, you know, film is one thing, you go into the theater and it's just like, wow. Mm. And then, you know, and then you do the film festival circuit and you, you do 30 wows. And then it gets on television and you realize that it's not just, it's not just there for the 100 people in the theater. It's in everyone's homes in the United States. It's available to anyone who turns on their channel. Mm. 270 million people in the United States, and there's a chance that it could be on their channels. And then just that that feeling, it just made me, it just made my heart sink. And I just like, I don't know, I just kind of, it was so such a surreal feeling. And I'm really happy I got the opportunity to, to do that. And I'm really happy that Aspire TV and Revolt are doing the work to support new creatives mm -hmm. and give them a platform to showcase their work. And and you know boost them forward in their careers because it's so hard as independent um, creatives to get those type of platforms you know mm -hmm. someone who's really really high up has to just one day notice you and for them to just give you that spotlight is amazing so that's yeah. amazing congratulations um you mentioned the festival circuit what's um what's the maybe one piece of advice or or insight you think aspiring filmmakers should know um, about the festival circuit? Because I, in season two, um, I really appreciated, it was either the video or a comment or something, and you let people in, uh, in the know of how and why you structured season two the way you did, and a lot of it had to do with the festival circuit. And that is the issue. So before you even go into trying to get into the festival circuit, you need to create a festival plan or else you're going to waste a lot of money. You need to create, get an Excel sheet, think about all the film festivals you know about, research the ones you don't know about, and then think about your content, what it is that you're trying to get out, what is it and what niche it has, and then choose festivals that will cater to that niche so that you won't waste money because festivals get expensive you can end up spending thousands of dollars mm -hmm. on applying to film festivals make a festival plan and then that will help you get a higher acceptance rate because you're not just submitting to oh sundance south by southwest and all these film festivals you heard of you're like okay i'm being strategic this is more so going to cater to this audience this festival caters to that audience i should submit there so that's one thing I would definitely say. That's one thing I did for Rivermint, which had gave me a higher acceptance rating that I didn't do for Life's Checklist, where I wasted so much money just putting the film out there because I was just, it was my first and I was so excited about it. It was my baby and I thought everyone should love it and wasted sure. all that money because it wasn't, it wasn't meant for those type of festivals. Um, another thing I would say is prepare when you go to these festivals, actually attend the festivals. So if you get into a film festival, try your hardest to attend. Um, it's, it's one thing to like get into it and then you don't go, then you're not really getting anything out of it. You should, gotcha. you should really attend those festivals because those festivals are a breeding ground for networking and establishing create, um, establishing connections and viewing like the new talent. So, and a lot of scouting happens at those type of festivals. Like 
your Netflix, your HBO, a lot of those different companies, they sponsor these festivals and they attend. And if you go, you can network yourself, you can meet new people, you can meet your next DP, your next writer, your next actress for your, for your next project. So it's really, really good for that. And then just also prepare, bring, bring business cards, bring flyers, anything that you can, anything tangible that you can put in people's hands so that, you know, they can remember you by and um, participate, go to the, go to the, the, the teaching sessions, go to other screenings, view other people's work, participate in the Q and A, let people hear you talk about your work and see your passion. I think all of those things are important for the festival circuit in order for you to make it successful. I think that that is how we were able to, you know, um, Aspire TV and Revolt TV didn't just, you know, fall in our lap. I think those things happened because of the success of the, the festival circuit and, and what we did and then the connections we made there. Um, people were talking about reading from their encounter with us, talking and bringing our names up in those rooms. And so they reached out and they were able to, to make those connections for us. So all those things are important. Don't, don't take the festival circuit is, is, it's for the independent creative. Take advantage of that. Thank you for saying all that. That's great because yeah, there's, um, I have some other friends who, who have learned a lot of, um, a lot of lessons about the festival circuit and they were talking about like, just how they, their business plans and how they navigate, because they were talking about like, you know, people don't, they don't think about how expensive it can be. And they don't factor that into the way they market their movie or the way they make it. Or like you were even saying things about like, uh, you know, runtime even of, of the project. Yeah, and I was like, oh, wanna, true. You don't want to go to the film festival circuit. If you're doing shorts, you don't want to go into it with a film that's longer than 20 minutes because it's harder to plug it. Um, web series, they like it to be five to seven minutes, no longer than 10. Um, feature films at 90 minute mark. Unless you have something like phenomenal and you have to be like really subjective to that because everyone thinks their work is phenomenal, right? Like you right. put all this hard work in and you think it's, it's great. But keeping it short, the shorter the better. Okay. for when it comes to short films and web series and things of that sort because remember they're plugging it and they're trying to make it fit perfectly in these time slots so that they can fit as many films as possible and and showcase as many films as possible so you your your if you come in if you're trying to apply with a 30-minute film and then you have these three phenomenal 10-minute films that's three films that can show versus your one they're gonna choose those three films versus your one. So it's better, it's best to just try to keep it short and sweet. You're just trying, you're just trying to show your work ethic and the fact that you can get this done and propel your career forward. So you can get those big budgets to create that feature where you're not even putting it in a festival. At that point, honey, you're you're in theaters, you know? Mm -hmm. So that you understand your goals and when it comes to the festival circuit and and be cognizant of those things. Be back to what you said earlier. Be intentional mm -hmm. uh, is what I hear. What I hear you saying. Do you have any any heroes right now? Do you have any heroes right now? And also, is there anyone whose work you're really um you're really enjoying 
right now in TV and in film, and you can't wait to see what they do next. Um, you know, I'm I've been I've loved me some Issa Rae. I love Ava DuVernay. Um, I I love the greats. So the Julie Dash, um, the Casey Lemons, like I, those mm. those people. I'm gonna always love and support. Like they they pave they're paving the way for mm. other filmmakers, but. You know, there's there's a lot of new talent coming too, and I, I'm really interested in, in seeing like how how they're blossoming. Like Nia Nia the Coats, I believe her name is, and Tyresha Poe. Mm. Um, they're all doing phenomenal work, and their their work is starting from just these one projects. You know. Yeah. Um, and I think that is that's so inspiring to me. Like how they are Stella Stella McGee. Oh, like she is. I would hope that she would mentor me one day. She is the genre, the, the type of film that she does is what I'm looking forward to do. So like they're they're doing such great work and it's really just based off of this one project where they just took a leap and made a feature and got it done. And now, you know, the world is the their, the world is their oyster and they're they're getting so many new projects at their their at their hands now. And so yeah, I've been following their work and I can't wait to see, you know, what else they, they're doing. I can't wait to see Candyman, even though mm -hmm. I'm not really a big scary person either, but I'm going to support mm -hmm. um, all of those things. That's great. Yeah, and I did hear that at DaCosta, I think also. Yeah, I, I said, think she just... I said DaCosta, but I meant DaCosta. <laughs> no, no, no problem. Um, I think she just, I think she's about to get her some Marvel money. I heard. Exactly, right? Um, so, so that's tight. Um, I'm also remember. I haven't seen her show uh, yet, but I'm remembering like Michaela Cole just got signed to HBO, yeah. and I'm remembering that wacky, hilarious hidden gem, <laughs> chewing gum, mm. uh, on Netflix. And I'm like, yo, like this girl done gone from this really cool specific story that she put her heart and soul into to, you know, cameos in Star Wars and mm -hmm. being in Black Mirror. And now, you know, she's also on um, on HBO with with Issa and Yvonne and, and um, the Black Lady Sketch Show and, and what have you. Yeah. It's just like, dang. <laughs> um, or I, I also really like to, um, if I had to answer that, I, I've been enjoying, um, God, how do I say his name right? I think it's Kelvin Harrison Jr. Mm -hmm. um, you and I might have chatted about him briefly on Twitter or something, because um, he, uh, uh, um, Godfather of Harlem, I think it was the first time I happened to see him. Um, he was in like Waves and yeah, he did um, um, Loose. Loose. Yeah, that was really really good. I watched that, that on a powerful. plane ride, a long yeah. plane ride, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> he put his life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> into that role is amazing. And um, I think I just, it's cool to be able to see him use his singing abilities like in Godfather and also um, he was in um, The High Note, I think was the last thing I saw him in, um, the Tracy Ellis Ross, that, that, was, that was cool. Um, but yeah, just, the, just these new, you know, I love it when, you know, shadow and actor, somebody is like, here's the latest, you know, slate of actors we want to be in this thing. Like, you know, they want Lucas, I think McLaughlin, for Stranger Things to be static because, you know, I'm so happy static shock and milestone is coming back. Um, and so they're like, here's our fan cast. It's always exciting to see um, all the talent, young and old. Um, 
curated like like that to see like what's the next thing you know we're going to see them in um who is supports a big a big thing for you who would you say is your biggest supporter I don't know. I hope that's not an unfair question because you're, you're, you're loved on. Because I, I come from a huge family, a big, I like to call them my big country family. And they are like my hugest supporters. But if you made me choose, I'm going to say two, it would probably be my dad and my grandma. Those two, they, they've been, they saw something in me since I was really, really young. And they have been, they've been um, boosting me up since then. But my entire family, um, are is is my biggest support system and they deal with my antics they 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 if i tell them to get in front of the camera they'll they'll do it for me with no issues and yeah i love them for that they've always catered towards my towards my creativeness (laughs) yeah i I love your um and I gotta use it. Thanks for giving me permission to do so. I love. We all love your family music videos for the holidays. Oh yeah. That is. That's this is really be tight. Our last year. <laughs> Wait. Say. Say again. This is gonna be our last year doing the family video. What? Yeah. Everyone's gotten older, and there's gotcha. no no more kids. So we, we when we started this, we were young. Everyone was so young, and I started doing this back when I was like twelve. But we didn't start doing the music videos until two. I believe it was two thousand and five or two thousand and six. So we've been going strong for a very long time, mm-hmm. and now you know, um, everyone's older, and the the I was the oldest of of nine grandchildren. So you know, okay. they're all older and and adults. They're not even. Um, they're like adults now so it's just time you know at at some point everything every good thing has to come to an end and we had these memories it was fun and um any I'm pretty sure any other time when I say yeah let's do it they'll they'll be ready but also I think I'm just also tired too I want to just enjoy a a December with my family and Mm -hmm. not have to worry about staying up all night on the on Christmas day on Christmas night yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> right. But I, I'm, I think it's so funny how this was always just a thing between me and my family, mm-hmm. and I would put it on YouTube I, I, every year. I, I put it on YouTube. This YouTube's creation. <laughs> but um, I think it's funny how now it's become like from my family thing to a Twitter, a Black Twitter family thing. Like mm-hmm. every year when it gets close, because people, a lot of people think that it's Thanksgiving, but it's Christmas. It gets close, and then people go, "Okay, we can't wait for the Christmas video." Especially over the last couple of years, so yeah. we're not going to disappoint for 2020. But we felt like 2020 was just a, a perfect time to give our last hurrah, and then, um, and then hang it up and let the next tradition for the next generation of family members that let them create the next tradition. <laughs> That's beautiful because it's just you know it's organic. You're not trying to. At least that's how it came across to me. You're just hanging with your cousins, your grandparents, good food, presents on the way. Like being intentional or like how perfect it is. It's just really me and my family having fun together. And that's what makes it amazing. That's what makes it genuine. And you got to cherish that. And it's got to be like a great time capsule as well to see family together every year you know, interacting and just together. Like that's, I think that that's also really cool. 
Um, a bonding time. Bonding, right, bonding time and everything. Um, mm -hmm. Would you say your vision is 2020? How, how do you see your vision for your, your career now? Are you more hungry? Are you like, does that I, make sense? Yeah, I, I definitely think I'm more hungry. I think that what I do appreciate about the pandemic and everything is that it really slowed me down. It slowed the world down. Right. And it gives you a chance to reflect and then it gives you a chance to find, figure out your priorities and, and, and plan a little bit better. And so, yeah, when I came into 2020, I had all of these different opportunities. I had all these th things lined up and I was ready to rock and roll. And then of course, all of those things kind of came to a screeching halt, but that's okay. Like now I have more time to write. I'm, I have more time to, to get, um, get what I want done get more of the planning of, of what I want done done so that in 2021 or 2022, whenever we are out, out of this and we can go back outside, um, I'll have more work and I'll have more opportunities, um, ready to go. So I think it was a blessing in disguise. I, I don't like to say it was a blessing in disguise because it's, you know, so many people have been mm -hmm. negatively affected by it, but I think for me, I like to see the optimism in things. And for me personally, it really slowed me down and it really helped me just gain more insight of, of my priorities and then also gain a little bit more focus. And so uh, I am appreciative of that. And I, I'm hoping to come out of the quarantine with, with at least three scripts ready to rock and roll and you and, will. you know, that's, that's probably more than what I had already had planned to have in 2020 because of, you know, with my job and everything just being so busy. But who, kn who knows? And I, I just can't wait to see what the, the next years are going to bring. What's next for you and where can people follow your career online? Well, it's I have a couple of projects that I am currently working on. Right now, my biggest focus is completing a feature. So I've been writing that. I don't want to go into too much, too much details about okay. what it's about, but it is a coming of age um, film based in the early 2000s. So sort of kind of a period piece, um, coming of age, okay, cool. of course, black woman, black girl centered. That's, that's my, my yeah. MO. Yep. Um, so um, um, that's been my biggest focus right now and of course I'm trying to get a few more short films done but First um, wow. yeah that's that is the goal to Ooh. try to get that feature in and out but um, if, if you ever want to just follow the career follow my trajectory or just follow me and, and laugh at me being silly on Twitter. <laughs> you can you can find me at Shayla Raquel, and that's for everything. So S H A Y L A R A C Q U E L. Um, that's my website, ShaylaRaquel.com. My Twitter, Instagram, Facebook is Shayla Raquel. Um, pretty much, if you if you look up Shayla Raquel, you'll find me, and that's 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 how you can get in touch. Awesome. Shayla, I don't know where the time went, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> this has been uh, this has been really really fun um, to be able to 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 hang out. You know, one on one, it was cool to to be able to to talk, guys. Shayla was so nice at um, Pan African Film uh, Festival. You know, you you were doing your networking thing and you enjoyed the Q and A, and people had different questions. You know, when when the panel ended, mm -hmm. but um, 
when I realized who she was and just want to, you know, take a second to, uh, to say thank you, you know, she totally talked to me for, for the few minutes that, that we had, you know, we, we took a, a couple pictures and I just thought it was just a really, really cool sense of, for me, you know, growing up in the DMV, it was cool that someone had come out to, uh, to LA and I was just watching, you know, the career grow and it was cool to go from that to here and you being willing to talk about film and hang out when we get on the other side of, of the Rona, you know, prayerfully, um, we'll be able to collaborate on something one day. That'd be really, really cool. And I just thank you so much. Of course, of course. Anytime. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Like I said, I'll log everything in uh, the show notes on the blog so you can follow Shayla. You can see uh, her films on Quelly TV and her YouTube channel. She's also got a web series, Bless Your Heart, where she talks about um, everything she loves about film, actually, and what she's working on. So I'll plug all of that so that you guys can follow her. And uh, I hope you guys uh, have a good day, and I will talk to you later. See ya.